Hi everyone, you're here with the second season of Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here as always with my co-host, Lyson Casey. Hello everyone. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Lino Caramontrary. He is the co-founder and the head of behavioral sciences at Mesh Diversity. So thank you so much for joining us virtually, Lino. Yeah, my pleasure. So tell us a bit about Mesh Diversity. First off, what is it? Um, well, Mesh Diversity is essentially a platform that allows organizations to actually, really, and truly drive their diversity initiatives forward. And the reason I say it like that is, you know, uh, we've spent 30 years of, of doing DNI, and for the most part, we've talked a really good game, and it usually ends up landing on training. And the reality is training is just not enough. It's, it's a nice starting point if you do it well, but it's not enough. So we, we designed Mesh to actually leverage the real science underpinning DNI, underpinning, you know, the real things like racism and sexism and heterosexism and, and, and actually allow you to use them from a metrics level to move your organization forward. I think I answered both your questions. And how did you all uh, come about founding this business? Was it a, a personal a problem that you had that you felt needed to be solved or did you just see a business opportunity or what, what was your founding story? Um, I came into this work in the early 1990s. I was uh, in university, didn't know what I was supposed to be studying and um, lucked into a marvelous course called Race and Racism with a really amazing uh, professor named Hamani Banerjee, who just opened my eyes to the reality of, of, you know, what this invisible system is. And so I spent 13 years in formal education, kind of wrapping my head around it, started a consultancy that I, that I ran for about 13 years or so. Um, and then I realized, you know, much to my chagrin that most commonly the good work that I would do in organizations kind of disappeared. If, if the, if the CEO or the champion left, things would fizzle. If I left, things would fizzle. And that was just untenable for me, uh, because it just, it sort of meant my, my work was this hollow endeavor. Um, so I set out to create, um, a tool that would allow you to, to leverage the science of it in a way that was actually, an, um, you know, actionable and, and, uh, sustainable. And the problem for me is that I'm a sociologist and sociologists shouldn't build software. <laughs> So I, I spent quite a few years and an awful lot of personal finances trying to build this software. And, uh, you know, a couple of years into it, I was at a, at a social gathering and this, this guy that I knew named Mike that I'd known for, for, you know, almost a decade and a half. He said, what are you doing these days? And I said, well, I'm trying to develop the software and I can't make it work. And he looked at me with this, you know, look that only an old friend could, could give you that essentially says you're an idiot. And and uh, he said, you do know I'm in software, right? So we joined forces uh, with a really remarkable uh, colleague developer and an amazing behavioral uh, change expert. And we formed Mesh together to, to make some real, real change in terms of DNI. That's really cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Especially with a sociology background, that's also my background. And oh. yeah, if it weren't for uh, Liza, we would not have been able to co-found our current company either. <laughs> there you go. 
So um, to speak to, so you're saying basically that there's a science behind diversity and inclusion and kind of maintaining that in the organization. Can you speak more to, if you can, I don't know if that's proprietary, to like what that science is? Oh, sure. Um, the the internet is is an amazing tool. It is, is it a, it's a real boon for anyone who wants to, to gain information. You know, there was a time when if you wanted to learn about things like racism and sexism, realistically, you, you really had to do a degree in it. But now there's just so much information out there that you can, you can really learn a lot of really cool things. The, the unfortunate other side of that, of that is that there's an awful lot of bad information out there. And so if, if you are like the vast majority of DNI, you know, professionals out there don't have any kind of background in this. They very often organizations will give the DNI portfolio to, um, you know, someone who's interested in the field and someone who's passionate in the field. And that generally will fall down to a woman in the organization or a black person in the organization, a gay person in the organization. And the inherent challenge in that is, you know, it should be painfully obvious to people if you are hiring a CFO you, you would never go on LinkedIn and say, Hey, I'm looking for someone who has an interest in money. Right. You know, there, there, there's complexity behind that role. And in the same way, racism has been around for 500 years, just because you have an interest in it doesn't make it go away. And so the part that's generally missing is there, there is this vast amount of science and it ties into psychology and it ties into social psychology and it ties into neuroscience and why are people, people defensive and what makes people feel belonging and inclusion. So in terms of the science and the metrics behind it, you know, belonging isn't just a word. There are things, you know, that we experience, emotions that we experience, uh, social interactions that we experience that actually drive a sense of belonging. And in the same way, inclusion isn't just a word. There are real metrics behind it. You know, how, how empathetic are you? How compassionate are you? Um, you know, how civil are you in your engagements? How much appreciation do you show people? In particular, are you open to their differences? There are real metrics that, that you pull on to understand what these words are. And so what we've done is just put metrics to the science. I really love yeah, that. Yeah, I, lo I love science and metrics, and they speak louder, I guess, than, than anything else. Yeah, even else. though in this case it shouldn't. Like, it should be such a no-brainer to have diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. as part of your company and your values. But the fact that you can use metrics to, I guess, push companies in that direction, like, it's for the better. So it's really good. Yeah, it also speaks on top of just, like, being a good and decent person. There's, of course, other reasons, other benefits, uh, for your company to, to, to be inclusive. Uh, can, can you talk about some of those? Well, yeah, ab absolutely. And I, and I think it, it actually, the question actually speaks to the challenge. When you say a word, let, let's move away from inclusion because um, inclusion and belonging, unfortunately, even though there is science to it, they do get used as those buzzwords, right? And, and similarly, diversity is not just a, you know, it's not just a word. It, there's meaning behind it, but what's happened in, in the last like five, six, seven years, it's been really co-opted in particularly in corporate spaces where, you know, we'll use terms like diversity of thought. And I'm just going to be flat out about this. <laughs> 
you know, talking about diversity of thought is your way of saying, well, I'm not really going to have to worry about race or gender or sexuality or ability because I have diversity of thought. It's kind of a cop out. It's an easy way to keep things exactly the way they are and, and, and not have to, you know, you can have two twins, like twins born in the same home with the same parents and they will have diversity of thought. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a nonsensical phrase to me. So when you talk about the things that actually matter in organizations, the reason I really like the question, racism is what we're talking about, right? Sexism, heterosexism, ableism, classism, ageism, all of these things that rupture culture and, and prevent people from reaching their potential. It's few, it's few and far between you're going to find people who intentionally do this. You know, it's few and far between that you get the cross burners and the people wearing the sheets working in the organization being open about it. And that's the problem, right? Racism, those, the people who burn the crosses, they're the easiest piece of the puzzle to understand. You know, sexism isn't maintained, reproduced, and supported by men who beat their wives alone. They're the easiest piece of the puzzle to understand. Heterosexism, homophobia, they're not maintained, reproduced, and supported by people who wait outside of gay bars to beat people up. Those, those people are easy to understand. And they're easy to spot when they're engaged in the, in, in the activities. The, the problem in these systems is they are invisible because they're generally completely ambiguous and they occur every single day in front of you and me. And the only way they sustain is with good, kind-hearted, ethical, moral people taking part without recognizing they take part. So the reason these metrics are so powerful and so important for people to be able to leverage is they have everything to do with whether or not you can get the most out of your people, uh, whether you can have people feeling safe. Um, you know, a predictable work environment's a, a pretty large key in whether or not your your brain's going to even function when you go to work. Anybody who's ever, anyone's ever, ever had a micromanaging boss knows how difficult it is to even just do your baseline job if you don't feel safe, right? But if you ladder that up to not feeling safe in terms of race, well, at least if it's a micromanaging boss, when I leave the workplace, my life goes back to normal. But if the uncertainty is around racism, you don't get to escape it when you leave work. You know, you get to bring it with you because the next time you experience something outside of the workplace, you're going to experience it. So the benefits for, for the organization are numerous and enormous. Because when you have a population of folks who feel safety and feel belonging and feel included, that's when you get true engagement. Um, think, think to the last time you were doing something, whether it was your job, but you were doing something and someone, their response, you, you knew they valued what you did. Like, remember how that felt? That, that's called the virtuous loop. When, when people feel appreciated, when, when people feel that they matter, you, you want to give that back. Everything in your system is designed to want to give that back. That's when you get real collaboration. That's when you get teammates breaking their backs for each other, not because they have to, but because they want to. And that's what we drive. And it's, it's, it's seamless and it's, it's just universally beneficial. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. It's 100% necessary in every organization. 
Can you talk a bit about how you and your co-founders um, thought, like, grew your company with diversity and kind of the forefront of your company's values and vision, um, and how you relayed that down to your team? Um, well, I mean, the, the relay down to the team part is easy. We hire with our own metrics. <laughs> we, 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 we make sure that the people we bring in are helping us to drive the culture where we want to go. Uh, we make every effort we can to, to ensure that every member of our staff feels part of a team and we're all moving forward together. Um, that's just from the team perspective, but from, in terms of how we keep DNI, you know, more or less front and center, if, if that's, and how it's changed as we've moved along. I mean, the world, the world changed about a month ago. Um, in terms of the work we did with clients, you know, not to, not to put too fine a point on it, but there's a lot of organizations out there that talk about DNI that say it's a priority, but I don't think have really, you know, put that, that best foot forward. And I think in large part, because there really wasn't a recognition of, of the challenge itself. You know, all best intentions, but no real understanding of the challenge itself. And I think what happened when George Floyd was murdered, well, let me say that more appropriately. When George Floyd was tortured for that eight plus minutes, I think the callousness of that act shook a lot of people awake. And then in combination with Amy Cooper and in combination with Richard Brooks and then every single new piece of unambiguous evidence after that, the, the world took notice and realized I, I, can't, I can't be part of this system. And if I just talk without doing, I'm part of the system. So what we've seen is a massive shift, an absolutely massive shift in organizations wanting to do it, but, but do it right not just do a couple trainings here, tick a box and leave as, as had been so much the case before, but really wanting to integrate it. And we've seen that in startups too, um, wanting to make sure that this invisible system isn't in their organization right from the get-go. Why, you know, why wait until you're a hundred person company, right? Just get it right from the start. And so when, when you're, when you're working with, with, with clients, how do you decide which are uh, the best clients uh, for you and your team to work on? Are there, are there any that you decide, oh, it's not a good fit? Or do you always say, okay, this is an opportunity to, to kind of uh, grow this and, and teach uh, these values to someone who we wouldn't think otherwise? Um, well, we have clients everywhere from, you know, three to four person startups all the way to 6,000 person multinationals. Um, our big, you know, our, our, our big key is this. If you want to do this and you want to do this right, then you're the right client for us. Like I'm, I'm, I'm too old. <laughs> I'm too far along in, in my career to want to do a song and dance. My, my preference is not to, to pay it lip service. It's too important. It's about real people's lives. Um, so our, our, our preference and, and, and in truth, this is what we, all of our clients, every single client we have, they're trying to do DNI right. They they are they are really putting that that foot forward. They're they're making change. They're they're trying to make the world better for their their people, for their clients. And I think that's our only stipulation. Just be real about it. 
And can you give some recommendations then for how a new startup uh, could do this, could do it right? The, the, the first thing I would say is do not go on Google and punch in best practices. Um, pretty much all of those things that get labeled as best practices are just fundamentally flawed. Um, if you're not uh, doing work with us, find someone with some credentials to help you. Um, because again, it's, it's not an easy subject. If you create a space in your organization where certain bodies won't feel safe, they won't go. So just bringing in more bodies isn't the answer. Reading a couple books isn't the answer. Doing a couple trainings isn't the answer. You have to systematize this change into the fabric of your organization. And if you don't, the reality is all good intention you know, aside, you'll be exactly the same as you grow as every other large organization that's dealing with this right now because the system is invisible. We do take a part in it. And seeing the mechanism, seeing the pattern, understanding how to break it down, that's not an easy thing to do. So I'd say find some expertise as a first step. And uh, so for my final question, uh, can you tell me something about yourself that's not on your LinkedIn page? I love scotch. <laughs> um, I don't know that this one's out. My, my new book is probably coming out inside of the next few months. Uh, it'll actually be looking at the, the realities of, of racism as, as traumatic and how that impacts our ability to actually function and be at our best inside organizations. And, and that, I don't believe, is on my LinkedIn page. Well, it's very exciting. Congrats on uh, publishing that and uh, being the launch. It's very cool. Thank awesome. Well, thank you so, so much, Dr. Lino. It was really great to get to speak to you. Super great insights that are really helpful. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. All. Well, thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Floater Founder every week. We look forward to bringing you more content from more amazing people in our city. Until next time. <laughs>